0: The scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, and chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Let us go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for your blessing, for your word to change us and move us, to make us understand you more and to worship you more. So I pray for all the people here that their hearts may be open to receive your powerful and transformative word. Be with me as I speak your truths and not my own. And together may we worship you. For you are the creator, you are our king, and you are worthy of our worship. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our Christmas celebration should... Inform our New Year's resolutions. Our Christmas celebration should inform our New Year expectations. So often these two things are disjointed that it puts people in a weird state in these in this week. Christmas, you could come off a great high, a miracle. Christ, our Savior, has been born. God has become one of us. And right after Christmas ends, you think, man, my year was horrible. (laughs) And then you start thinking about Jesus' birth and you start thinking about the new year and then somehow you get to the resolution, I need to join a gym. (laughs) But those things hardly connect and I'm guilty of it as well. And so my whole purpose of this message is that we together as a body would think of some new year resolution or at least have some New Year expectations, and that it would be informed by our Christmas celebration. So I've come up with a formula. The formula is, you have to uh, fill in the blank. It says, Jesus became one of us so that. And then we fill out our New Year's resolution. Now, if I think about my other resolutions, it usually didn't fit, and I wanted to read some of them. Jesus became one of us so that I could run one marathon. Doesn't seem to work. Jesus became one of us so that I could lose 15 pounds. Doesn't seem to work. And here's a Christian one, but it also doesn't seem to work. Jesus became one of us so that I could read the Bible in one year. Doesn't seem to work to work either. Now, is losing weight a bad thing? No. It's healthy. You should go. You should do it. Is running a marathon a good thing? I don't really know yet. (laughs) But if you want to pursue it, no one's holding you back. It's not a bad thing. If you want to read the Bible in one year, that's an excellent thing, a beautiful thing. But as Christians, we should want more. And we should expect more. So I know for some of you, you already said, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I don't do New Year's expectations. And there's nothing biblical about having these resolutions or expectations. But it's in our rhythm. And we should use it to our advantage to expect great things from God. Now, if your expectation and your resolution is that I don't expect anything from God, I would argue that is unbiblical. There is nowhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament where God commands his people, do not expect anything from me. Whether if we are to follow Christ, we are to expect many things from God. God tells his people to wait, expect on him, wait on him, look for me so that your life may be worthy. And in Galatians, it gives us the framework of how we need to begin to think about our lives in the light of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully as a church, as we celebrate Christmas, we will look to the new year, 2020, with great anticipation that God will reveal himself in a powerful way. And we need to begin to think about that and put it in our hearts. So we begin in Galatians chapter 3. And it says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now, we're coming into the middle of a letter, and so some background information is necessary, um, and it will be beneficial for us. So as Paul speaks, he's saying, we were held captive. And so the question is, who is we? So we know that Paul is a Jewish man, so is he talking about the Jewish people? Not really, because he's talking to the Galatian church, which largely consists of Gentiles. So if he's a Jewish man talking to a Gentile church, who is Paul talking about when he says we? When he says we, he means everybody. Everybody was held captive under the law. Jews and Gentiles were held captive under the law. Now, which law are we talking about? Is it the Roman law, the U.S. Constitution? What Paul is talking about here is God's law, found in the first five books of the Bible. And he is saying that God's laws, which are good, held everybody captive. Now, those two things don't seem to go together. How? are good laws that come from God, keeping everyone captive. First, for the Gentiles, it's keeping them captive because in the first five books of the Bible, they are excluded from the law. They do not have access to it, and so their fate is sealed. They are subject to death with no access, no roadmap into God's favor. There is a law that is holding them back from achieving everlasting life. But for the Jewish people, they have God's law. How are they held captive? They are held captive because yet, even though they have the roadmap, they have all of God's laws, they are unable to follow them. They are unable to achieve the righteousness that is necessary, so their fate is the same as the Gentiles. It is death still. For them, it's almost bittersweet. They have access to everlasting life. They have access to the righteousness of God, yet they cannot obtain it. And is it because the laws are bad? No. No. Because the laws activate the sin that resides in everybody. Everyone, Jew or Gentile, has sin that hinders them from having the peace of God. Therefore, under the Old Testament, everyone was still enslaved to the same outcome. Death without God's grace. So that's the situation, and that is who Paul is talking to. But what is the problem that is brewing in the Galatian church? The Galatian church is a church that is, believes in Christ, but they have begun taking on an evil practice. They have begun circumcising their fellow men. And why are they doing this? It is because they want to be more faithful to God, and Paul is now writing this letter saying, stop with this nonsense. Stop circumcising yourselves. You are going in the wrong direction. Now, I'm not going to um, dwell too long on this, but essentially what Paul is really battling against is a mindset. The people of God are adopting a works righteousness mindset amongst the mist. And circumcision is a sign that they are adopting it. Now... For us today, do we suffer from this problem? Now, we don't. Most people are not circumcising themselves or saying, if you want to be in God's favor, you need to get circumcision. But the mindset still invades our churches today. We still believe in a works righteousness situation before God. And how do you know if you are suffering from works righteousness? Let me ask you some questions and depending on how you answer these questions you'll know if you're suffering from works righteousness and again works righteousness simply means that you work in order to garner you work in order to garner god's favor so if you do a good job you receive god's blessings so here's a question if i ask you today do you think god is pleased with you What is your answer? If your answer is no or I don't know, you have begun thinking in a works righteousness mindset. If I ask you, do you think God is punishing you for your sins? And if your answer is yes or I don't know, you have a works righteousness mindset. Have you ever thought to yourself that God should be blessing me now because I've been faithful to him? If you've ever thought that, you are suffering from a works righteousness mindset. Have you ever prayed, God, if you do this thing, I will do this for you? You are suffering from a works righteousness mindset. It's something we all struggle with today. It is this belief that we need to do something in order to garner God's favor. And this is a dangerous mindset. For Paul says once you enter into this mindset, you are returning back to the mindset of a slave. Because what you become preoccupied with is how you are doing and you get preoccupied with death. And when you do that, you cannot satisfy God. You can't. You will be enslaved about thinking about yourself forever. And when you do that, you can't follow the commands of God. It's this cycle, because all you're thinking about is, am I good enough, God? Am I good enough to do this? Am I good enough to be in heaven? Am I good enough to do these things? And as you keep thinking and asking that question, am I good enough, there is no room to think about the other. And that's why it's so difficult following the laws of God because our sin takes over and we make everything about us and it inhibits us from doing God's will. It puts you into God's debt. The mentality that you owe God something is one you will never be able to dig out of. And it's a horrible feeling to feel in debt. And when you are in debt, you cannot share the love of God with other people or anyone around you. And that's why Paul is saying, but now, verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under that situation. Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The Jews and the Gentiles, they had their chance to garner God's favor, but they could not do it. Even though they tried, everyone tried, they all failed, they all had the same fate. Therefore, God had to send his son, Jesus Christ, and they sent him under the law, under the laws of the five books found in the Old Testament. Jesus had to do what no one could do. What Jesus did matter. Jesus was circumcised, and he had to obey the laws of God perfectly. If he messed up, God would be very, very mad. Everyone was watching Jesus to see how it's possible to please God and love your neighbor. Right? That's the summation of the law. Love your God with all your heart and all your mind and also love your neighbor as you would love yourself. And everyone fails to do that. Jews and Gentiles, everyone is, fails in loving God properly and loving their neighbor properly. Yet Jesus has to do both these things and not upset the balance. And we see that Jesus does it. And it's most clearly seen on the cross. Jesus, following his Father's will and paying the penalty of our sins. He loved the neighbor. Yet he also lived the perfect life, perfectly pleasing the Father. In which God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And in all of that, the climax of his life is the cross where we see that Jesus loved his father, loved you and I, and it resulted in his death. And why did Jesus do all these things? Why did Jesus come to be one of us? His main purpose... Was not only to please the Father, but to redeem those who were under the law. That's verse 5. Jesus Christ was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. To redeem you and me. Everyone who is born is born under the laws of God. And they have to garner God's favor. Yet when Jesus came, he gave us a second way. That if you believe in Jesus, the righteousness of God is now bestowed upon you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, with his own life, bought us, redeemed us out from under that situation, that relationship, and brought us into the good grace of God. And that is why Paul says in verse 7, So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus became one of us so that we might become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now the question is so, what does that mean? What does it mean now that we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God? It means we are heirs. And then if you think, well, we're heirs, heirs of what? What is our inheritance? Now, people start having these fantasies about certain things, but it's right here. What we receive, what our gift is, is Christ himself. Meaning this, we become more and more like Jesus. The inheritance is this. That we will be people that will be exactly like Jesus Christ, living together. That is the dream. People filled with love, joy, peace, and patience. That will be us. And we will be in community together, living together, loving one another. And so God has given his son to us. God has given us to his son so that we might be free. Remember in the Old Testament, we were slaves because all we could think about is ourselves. Asking that question, are we good enough? Am I good enough? But under Jesus Christ, because we have faith in him, we can look at all those questions and begin to move on with our lives. Is God pleased with me? The answer will always be yes. No matter how you wake up, no matter what you did, the answer will always, always be yes. Does God love me? Yes and always. Is God punishing me for my sins? Never. He will never punish you for your sins. He punished them once and for all through His Son, Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Will God only bless me if I'm faithful? God has been blessing you since you knew Jesus. He's blessing you all the time. You don't have to wait for His blessing. It's happening all around you. Will God answer my prayers? Always. He will always answer your prayers. Now, you may not like the answer, But he will always answer your prayers because you are his child. The question, am I good enough, no longer matters to us. We're good. We are in God's favor. Now we can say, what can I do on this earth? It's a completely different mindset. It's like, I'm loved. I have it. Let's go. It's like winning the lottery, I have money, how am I going to spend it? Whether being poor and saying, I need money, I can only think about my own situation. It's a completely different mind shift. We can now focus on our inheritance from God, meaning how do we become like Christ And that's a perfectly legitimate question. If we are becoming more like Christ, what does that mean? Paul will begin to describe this in Galatians 5. It means this, that you as a Christian, you as an heir to the throne of God will abound in love, joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control. You will have a wealth of these things in heaven. We will be all of those things and we will love it and it will be amazing. But here's the other thing we don't have to wait till heaven to experience it. Because Jesus has died for us and because we are heirs, God says, I don't want you to wait till you die. I'm going to give your inheritance now. And so that's why Paul says, the Holy Spirit has been sent down to you. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, meaning because the spirit now resides in you, the process of heaven begins now and has been happening. And so, That means you have a power inside you that does not come from this earth, but comes from heaven. Those of you who call God their father, you can only do that because the spirit lives inside of you. And people still don't believe me when I say, yeah, if you can call God father, that means the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Like That's it. I didn't do anything. Exactly. You're not supposed to do anything. It's the whole message of Jesus Christ. And people are like, nah, it's the works righteousness thing. I'm not prepared for it. My life's not together. I'm not there yet. It's like, no, it's supposed to feel scandalous. It's supposed to feel cheap. It's supposed to feel too good to be true. But it's no small thing to call God Father. And if you're able to do it, praise God be to God. The Spirit lives within lives within you. And it's continually changing you. And God wants you to call upon the Spirit to do great things. And what are great things according to God? It's the same things that I said before. It's to grow in love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self-control. Now, usually when I say that and I hear myself say it, I go, that's it? God, you don't want me to plant 15 churches in all of Asia? You don't want me to go disrupt the whole All the human rights violation. You don't want me to do all these things. All those things are wonderful and great. But God says the most powerful thing you can do is to grow in the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are foundational things. But the world says they're not foundational things. Those are things you invest in after you have a good job. After you're making good money, after you're married, after all those things. Once all those things settle down, then you should be gracious. Then you should love. But in God's kingdom, he says, no, the most powerful thing that you can have is love, joy, and peace. If you have all those things, everything else is secondary. Remember, the sermon I preached, Jesus didn't even have a house. That's been really bothering me. (laughs) Jesus didn't have a house. And he had all these things, love, joy, peace, and patience. And we still talk about him today. He's the role model. It's because he had the most fruit. It was an aroma that billions of people are now flocking to Jesus to hear his message. That is what humanity needs. It's not another job promotion. It's not getting married. It's not having good children. Those things are great. We can ask that for the world, but for Christians, what we need to do is to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We need to practice being in heaven now. That is what will make us attractive to the world. That is what we need to pray for. Christ became one of us so that we would be free to grow in love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Christ became one of us so that we could grow and not worry. Your New Year resolution should be to grow in one of these things. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Far too often, we do not utilize him. We look for different things. We look to pursue the world's agenda, but not the agenda of Christ. Now, hear what I'm saying. If you want the job promotion, go get it. If you want to get married, get married. If you want good children, ah, It's a little bit out of your hands. But make those things secondary to pursuing these wonderful things. Here's the question, though How do you know if you're growing in love, joy, peace, and patience? I think that's a great question. And I think it's a question that we need to begin to ask ourselves continually as a church. I want all of us as a church to just pick one of these fruit of the spirit. You don't need all of them. Just say, you know what? You're right. I'm going to pick gentleness. I'm going to pray to Christ that I grow in gentleness. And then do you know how you go do it? Take two people aside and say, on a scale of 1 to 10, how gentle do you think I am? 10 being Jesus, 0 being the devil. You might get, and someone might say, you're a four. Interesting, I thought I was a five. Then you take another friend and you say, on a scale of zero to 10, what do you think of my gentleness? And they say, six. All right, you got a four, you got a five, and you got a six. Take the average, three months later, ask the same question. This is not science, I know, but, They can begin to sense if you're growing or not. People are now looking for it. People are now aware of it. We don't even look for those things anymore. There's no magic behind this scale. But the magic is that we are now beginning to see, is the Holy Spirit actually beginning to work in your life? That is what we should be looking for. Jesus came so that we would be free from the burdens of the world to bring heaven to earth. That is the new year resolution for all churches, not just ACC. And that is one we should pursue boldly and together. And you should push your Christian friends to pursue boldly. That is why Christ has come. So that heaven on earth could be seen and that people would bring glory to his name. This year, let your Christmas celebration inform your New Year's resolution. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would bless us, help us to grow. Father, oftentimes we forget that the Holy Spirit resides in us. Help us to remember and call upon the Spirit so that we may grow and that we may be eager to see you work through us. God, give us this expectation, give us this hope, help us to grow, and may you be praised a thousand times over. I pray this not only for ACC, but every single church heading in to the new year. May you bless them, and may all churches call upon the Holy Spirit to do your bidding. We pray and eagerly expect these things, God. We are waiting for you. Amen.